0: Continue on. You ready? You're ready for this. Just, Just get your new friend's phone number. You can hang out over the break. It's good. All right, let's pray together before we jump into the scriptures. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so grateful. For the promise of your presence all year, not just when we celebrate the birth of Emmanuel, the with us God, but all year long, God, you promise to be with us. You promise to be with us in the most joyous and the most difficult seasons of life and everything in between. And for that, we're so thankful. God, we pray that you would um, encounter each one of us this morning. We all come in with lots of different things on our minds and our hearts, and I just pray that this time, this few minutes would be carved out for us to encounter you and to engage with you. And God, we, like we pray every week, are so grateful for this opportunity to worship here in this school. God, we thank you for Sheridan. As the kids went home on Friday for a, a longer winter break, we just pray, God, that you would um, be with them as they go with their families, rejuvenate the faculty and the staff and the teachers as they have some time off as well, God. We thank you for what they do, and we ask that you would bless them. So be with us in this time. Jesus, help us to notice the invitations that you have for each of us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. I'm Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so grateful for some of you who are visiting, maybe with us here during the holiday, maybe even from out of town. Thank you for spending this time with us this morning. And we would love for those of you who are looking for a church home to consider Mill City as one of those spaces. We'd love to answer questions for you and and have you come up to the winter getaway with us. We would love to have you. Uh, We are finishing up the season of Advent here together today. And so I thought it would be appropriate just to put it out there and say, well, you know, what are your holiday gatherings, your Christmas gatherings over these next few weeks, you're going to have lots of gatherings. And so I bet there was a bunch of different answers to the question, what, how would you describe your holiday gatherings? But what I really want to know is if anyone in here described your holiday gatherings as peaceful. Why is that, why is that so funny? Anyone with the peace, serene, tranquil? Anyone? Because if you do, I would like you to raise your hand high, because a few of us would like to come over to wherever you're going. Oh, great, back here we got a few. Okay, so we're joining you all for your peaceful holiday Christmas celebrations. Of course, there's a lot of wonderful things about celebrating and getting together and families and all the things, but peaceful is not usually one of the things. It might be for some of you. And so here we are in this season of Advent. We're lighting the candle of peace, and we're talking about this idea of peace on a pretty hectic weekend. (laughs) But as we're counting down to, the, to Christmas, the season of Advent is so important. Maybe for some of you, it hasn't been a part of your tradition. But simply what it is, is waiting for the arrival. Advent means arrival or the coming. Arra- waiting for the arrival of Jesus. Now, it's easy to say, oh, so we're waiting for the arrival of baby Jesus. And yes, we're celebrating that people did wait at one time for baby Jesus, but baby Jesus has now already been born. And so we're using this time when people previously had waited for baby Jesus to wait for Jesus to return the second time. And when we think about Jesus' return, we think about the reality that Jesus comes bringing heaven to earth, a new creation, all wrong things made right, all the sad things become untrue, we often say with our kids. There'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering, and no more waiting. And here we are celebrating what it means to wait. Isn't that an interesting thing to say that we're celebrating? But that's what we're doing. We're trying to figure out what it means for us to wait well. How do we wait well in peace? But I I often have said, Advent is not for the faint of heart. Because waiting is not easy. It's not something that most of us look forward to. It's not something most of us are encouraged by. But it's something that's so important for us to be people that encounter what it means to be people of, of longing. People who say, I'm longing for something more, because even though God is doing wonderful things in our midst, sometimes we say the kingdom of God is coming now in our midst, God's reign, we see God doing incredible things, but there's so much brokenness still, isn't there? So we're longing for something more, for that beautiful picture that we see of Jesus returning the second time. So in the midst of all of that, what does it look like to wait well with peace? This is a significant question for us today. It can seem so strange that we would light a candle of peace uh, in a, a season of longing, right? A season of that feels so difficult for us. I sometimes use the phrase, longing is what hope looks like on a bad day. Because longing and hope are kind of the same thing if you think about it. And we love talking about hope, but longing comes with it. And so how do we have peace in the midst of a season of longing? And of course, sometime in the 16th century, there was these German guys who decided that on this Sunday, this very busy Sunday, the candle of peace, okay? The candle of peace should be on the Sunday where we're doing the last minute shopping, the last minute cooking, the last minute planning, and the kids are out of school and they're jumping off the walls. Let's have the candle of peace, (laughs) right? It's funny to think about it. But perhaps it's best that way because for most of us right now, it's not lost on us how much we need God's peace. And there's deeper reasons than planning and gifts and all that stuff that some of us might deeply long for the peace of God. And so we have this opportunity to say, what does it look like for us to be people who pursue God's peace and ask God for God's peace? Now, I do want to say, uh, here at Mill City, one of the things we do talk about a lot, and we'll continue to, is what it means to be a peacemaker, to be someone who longs to see peace between humans in the world, to be a peacemaker. We often say that's different than being a peacekeeper. It's a lot messier to be a peacemaker or to be someone who is a peace builder. Now, while that's so important, today I want to tell you, today we're focusing on what it means for us as people, as individuals, as families, as a church to have God's peace within us, within our lives, within our hearts. Because it's becoming more and more evident to me that if you want to be able to be a peacemaker, we need to pursue God's peace in our life. In fact, here's here's how I would want to put it. Inner peace from God is a prerequisite for being a healthy peacemaker. Inner peace from God is a prerequisite for being a healthy peacemaker. And so, if you're one of those people that feels called to be a peacemaker in your life, we've got to start with the peace that God wants to give us if we're going to have that be an overflow in our life, in the messy work of being peacemakers in the world. So, what does it mean for us to have God's peace in our spirit, in our hearts, internally? And so here's the question I want want you all to ponder today as we go through this. Are you experiencing God's peace in your life? I don't think any of us would say we are consistently experiencing it, but are you? And where in your life? What does it look like or not look like for you in your life today? That's the question. Are you experiencing God's peace in your life? And so my hope today is that we can embrace this idea that God will give us what we need to wait well with peace. If we want that from God. For asking God for that, if we're pursuing that in our life, God will give us what we need to wait well in peace, to wait for His kingdom to come, for all these wrong things to be made right. So, if you're thinking about the Christmas story, you can go through your, your mind and, and thoughts and think about all the different characters. We sang about Mary, uh, we think about all these different people that came to see baby Jesus on the, the first Christmas. Um, there's many characters, and I think almost every character would be one in which you could say they, they needed some peace from God in the midst of this very unusual, very strange story. I don't think anyone would be an exception. But today I decided that we would look at the, the story of Joseph. And the reason I decided to do that is because if you're familiar with the idea of the lectionary or some passages that are chosen, uh, some of you know about this, but there's passages that are chosen that some churches around the world, the global church, are reading the same passages on this day. And I just think it's profound sometimes for us to join into that. So all over the world today, people are reading the story of Joseph this specific Sunday uh, in 2019. And so we're going to talk about Joseph's life today and what it looks like for us to, to see him maybe through a little bit different light. So we're going to look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. If you have a Bible or a phone with an app, you can pull that out. But as we look at Joseph's story, I want you to look at his story with a little bit different perspective maybe than you have before. I want you to, to, to ask the question as we read, what is God offering to Joseph that would allow Joseph to be able to have peace? In a very unusual, very difficult situation for him specifically, how is God offering peace and encouragement to Joseph in this moment, all right? So that's what I want you to pay attention to and wonder about as we read. So in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, I'll read it for you. We'll have it up on the screen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is quoting Isaiah 7, which is also one of the main texts for today in the lectionary. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and named him Jesus. How did God give Joseph peace in the midst of this very difficult situation? I mean, you could just think about it for a minute. It doesn't take long to imagine what it would be like to be Joseph and then to realize, I don't know if we could really understand what it would be like to be this guy in this moment. What would it be like to be someone who finds out in this very odd way from your betrothed that she's going to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Not a lot of explanation going on here exactly how that happened, right? And then to, to already be considering this, why, why those, the message didn't come to both Mary and Joseph at the same time, I do not know. But then he's got some time to have to consider that. And then he has to, in a dream, be encountered by a messenger or an angel from God to try to explain the situation to him. Now I have no idea how he must have felt, but I do think that if you look closely at the story, there's some very specific ways that God looks specifically at Joseph and says, you can choose to have my peace in this moment. Before we look at that, I wanna just discuss the the concept of shalom or peace. How many of you have heard that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom? You heard this word before? I've got a definition for you I'm gonna put here up on the screen, and there's actually a lot of definitions as it is a very deep, rich concept in the Hebrew tradition. Hebrew words have lots and lots of depth of meaning to them. But I love shalom as one of my favorite Hebrew words for us to look at. So here is a definition of this concept. Shalom. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, serenity, prosperity, perfectness, fullness. I told you a lot. Rest, harmony, The absence of agitation, the absence of anxiety or discord. Now you tell me if this is something that's possible without the God of the universe, (laughs) because I have not experienced that to be true. This is a gift, shalom, something that comes with God's presence, an invitation to us to receive if we want it to be something that we receive, probably in moments in our life today, but this is the future hope. This is what this new creation will be a full experience of. And I don't know about you, but that sounds great to me, especially in this this time where it's difficult to find peace in our life. And so we see in the words of this messenger, of this angel, I think some things that really give the opportunity for Joseph to have peace. So let me just break them down for you. The first thing right away in verse 20 that we see is that God's messenger calls Joseph by name. And I think what that makes very clear is that God sees him and God knows him. Joseph, son of David, it's very difficult for us to understand just how critical and important names meant to people in the first century in the Jewish tradition. It's, it's important to us now, but it's just, it was just huge. And so for this messenger from God to say, Joseph, son of David, it's expressing to him that he is known, that he is seen that God wants to communicate to him and that God has something for him. And I think that's the first reason that Joseph can have peace, because God sees him and God knows him. And saying son of David is critical, because he's actually not the direct son of David, right? He is uh, in the line of David. And saying that he is the son of David would be super important, because later on he's going to end up in Bethlehem, and the nickname for the city of Bethlehem is the city of David. Kind of like we say Mill City is Minneapolis. The nickname is City of David. And so if you're in the line of David and you walk into this city, there's going to be an opportunity for you that feels different. I think that this is a moment where God is saying, I see you, Joseph, son of David. And right away we see then the next connection, which is that Joseph is a part of a bigger story. Joseph can have peace because in that moment, he realizes that he is a part of a bigger story that God is telling Now, since he was a little boy, the fact that he was in the line of David would have been significant. That people would have said to him since he was young, you're a part of the line of David, and the line of David is important in this big story of God, of Yahweh. And so he was reminded in that sentence that he is a part of God's bigger story. Now, he didn't totally understand to what very critical degree he was about to be a part of that story. As the messenger continued on, he starts to understand this. But right before we hear the story, if you just look back in Matthew, right before that, you see a long uh, list of the, the genealogy of Jesus, it says, but it's actually the genealogy of Joseph. It's Joseph's family line. And so Matthew, the author, decides to start with the genealogy of Joseph and lists the people that have led from, and in there is King David, and, and led down to Joseph. Now we're talking about King David, the King David, leading to Joseph, and many people say this seems a little bit odd because Joseph, as we just heard, is not, Mar- is not Jesus' biological father. We'll get back to that in a minute. But here it's so clear that he's being invited in as an important part of this big story that God is telling. This story is unfolding right before his eyes and he has yet to totally understand how critical his role is going to be. And we'll get to that in a minute. The third thing I think is so clear that Joseph has an opportunity to choose peace is that God understands his fear of getting it wrong. God understands his fear of getting it wrong. In verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You heard that, right? So it's translated here in the NIV as faithful to the law. Another translation of the actual word that's there is, is righteous. So he, because he was righteous, so maybe we could say because Joseph was a righteous man. Maybe another way to say that is because Joseph wanted to do what was right. Think about that. Because Joseph wanted to do what is right. This is a confusing passage for us. It's very easy for us to take the concept of divorce in our North American context and place it back in the first century. Not a good idea. What was happening in the first century is that the law required that Joseph divorce Mary do you see the difference there? It wasn't, oh, I wonder if I have enough grace to keep her as my wife. For him to be a good Jewish man, he must follow the law and release her from this contract of marriage with him. That was the right thing to do by law. And so here you have Joseph in this moment, I'm sure feeling, what, I don't know, anger, betrayal, sadness, confusion at best, And here he is thinking about how he wants to be faithful to the law, he wants to be righteous, or a man that does the right thing. And I just think, man, if this guy is trying to wrestle with this, he wants to do the right thing, and then it says that he had in mind to divorce her quietly, he doesn't want shame on him, and he doesn't want shame on her, he's trying to do the right thing. To be faithful to the law, he was supposed to cut off this engagement. What a predicament that this man is in. And then the angel appears and says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Do you see why he would be afraid? It's not just about shame. I'm sure that's part of it. It's because he has been trying to follow this law his entire life. And here a messenger from God actually says, we're going to need you to break that one, (laughs) actually. And this is the right thing to do. Don't be afraid. The right thing to do is to stay with her. This is totally different context than the context we find ourselves in today. This wasn't just about saving face, this is about Joseph having to decide if it's the right thing to do to break the law he spent his whole life trying to, to, to stay within. And I think many of us can empathize with that. I don't know about you, but I know that there's plenty of us who are like, I wanna make the right decision too. It matters, I just wanna get it right. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I know some of your stories. where what you think about all the time when you're making decisions is this is the right one. Is there, is there only one right one? I don't know. Joseph is in this predicament where he's trying to decide if there is the right thing to do and what that is. So think about that in your own life. I bet some of you are thinking, man, in 2020, I have some big decisions to make and I want to do the right thing. So can I get some angels up in here in my dreams? Because that seemed a lot clearer. Right, see, some people are like, please, can I get that? That's helpful for Joseph, but do you see why he needed that to be as clear as day? I mean, it needed to be abundantly clear that this was the right thing to do. It says he was a righteous man. Not that he was a self-conscious man or that he was a cowardly man. It was a man who wanted to do the right thing. This was a pretty big ask, but don't we see clearly that God led him through this? God led him through this difficult situation. And because of that, I think he can have peace. The next thing I see is that God was fulfilling God's promises. Remember Isaiah 7 is being quoted here by the angel? All this took place to fulfill, to fulfill the promises of God That we heard in the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God was fulfilling this important promise that Joseph's entire community had been waiting for. God was fulfilling that promise through his family. The messenger offers this reminder of Jesus' spiritual name. Jesus' spiritual name is Emmanuel. The with us God is probably the most direct way to put it. The with us God. And then I think we can say, okay, I think this guy can have peace because God was with him. Emmanuel was with him, literally growing inside of his, his, his fiance. okay? Now, that's not as literal as we might feel God is close to us, but maybe not as mind-bending either, right? So the, the, the presence of God is literally with him and his young fiance. And as you trace Joseph and Mary's story, you see God's hand on their life, don't you? You see them narrowly escape danger and and that they go through so much, but it's proven time and time again as the threats come around every corner that God is with Joseph. And then finally, I think the thing that gives an opportunity for Joseph to, to have peace is that God gave him something really important for him to do. God gave Joseph something very important for him to do. And when you have something to do, about a situation. Doesn't that help you feel more peace around it sometimes? All right, there's something I can do, okay? And so the angel finishes up with the most important thing that Joseph can do. Listen really closely. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Do you see what he's supposed to do? You are supposed to give him the name Jesus. Jesus is from the root name Joshua, it means to save. So that's why it says that's because he will save people from their sins. He should be named Jesus. Okay, listen real close, this is what the angel is saying. The angel is saying, very clearly, the baby in your fiance is the Messiah. Okay, that's very clear, the baby is the Messiah and you are to name him Jesus. I want you to miss how profound it is what the angel is saying. This baby is the Messiah, and after he is born, you are to adopt him as your own son. Thus entering Jesus legally into the line of David. When in this first century time a father named a child, the moment that he named that child that was not his biological child, that was legal adoption. And so the angel is saying, Joseph, we've got a very important role for you to play. You need to adopt this child so that it's abundantly clear that he comes from the line of King David. Talk about a profound invitation for this man. You are to give him the name Jesus. God calls Joseph by name. He reminds him of the Messiah's spiritual name, Emmanuel. And then he gives him naming rights to the future king of kings, Jesus, his adoptive son, right into the line of David. God had something critically important for Joseph to do. So if you're in a season where God's peace feels near, or whether it feels just completely out of grasp for you, I want you to know that God can give us peace. I understand that sometimes we have to wake up every day and ask for it. I I understand that it's one of those things where it feels like, why can't we just have it abundantly? Why does it come in moments and glimpses? But I do believe that it can happen. experienced it in my life. God will give us what we need to wait well with peace while we're waiting for Jesus to return, waiting for the kingdom to come. And those glimpses of the kingdom can help us have peace in the midst of that. Now, our part of the story is never going to be as infamous as Joseph, okay? Let's all just give that goal up. All right, the guys talked about it every major holiday around Christmas, right? So that's, that. we just need to let that one go. But I do believe that God's heart for us, for you, is the same heart that he had for Joseph. Joseph was the scared young guy, but he was God's kid. We are often scared young guys and gals, no matter how old we are. Sometimes there's that, you know, that little part of us. That's who we are, but we are God's kids, And God offers us peace if we ask for it and if we continually receive it. And we're open to receiving that in our lives. And I think like Joseph, we can have peace for these same reasons. Adam will put it up here on the screen. Let's look at it in in light of us. God sees us and knows us. God sees you. I know it doesn't always feel like that. But God sees you in that lowest moment when you feel completely alone. God sees you and God is with you. God knows you. There is no human on this earth that will know you as deeply as God knows you. You don't even understand yourself as much as God understands you. I find that hopeful because I confuse myself all the time. God understands. We are part of a bigger story. Sometimes the smallest actions that we take in our life make the biggest difference in someone else's, doesn't it? There's a bigger story that God is telling, and I know we don't understand it all. But if we don't see that we are a part of the messy middle of this story, we see the story up till now and we see the future hope and we get to play a part now, if we know we can play that part, I think we can have peace. God understands our fear of getting it wrong. For those of you who resonate with Joseph, God understands that you want to get it right. And God's not always going to send an angel to tell you exactly what to do, but God does want to lead you. The Holy Spirit does want us to have a conscious dependence on the Spirit to lead us. But what does it look like to actually ask for that? And what does it look like to receive God's grace? Because we're not always going to get it right. And a lot of decisions don't exactly have just one right way to handle it. We can have peace if we know that God understands that fear. We can have peace that God is fulfilling God's promises. Christmas is the best reminder of that, right? We're celebrating the end of a waiting period that people had for many, many years, waiting for a Messiah, and God kept God's promises. And here we see Jesus come for the first time, and that's a celebration of God being a promise keeper, not a promise breaker. And if we can celebrate this moment as we think about that future moment, I think we can hang on a little longer, just like the people had to at that time. And then we have to wonder, is God with us? I know that some of you doubt that. It doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't always feel like Emmanuel is true about God in our lives. But please, don't mistake hardship in your life as though that that means that God is far away. I've asked so many people, when you look back on your life, when did you feel the closest to God? And nine times out of ten, they describe a very difficult season of their life. God's peace is not about erasing hardship. God's peace is about coming in in the midst of hardship and strife to to remember that God is the with us God, Emmanuel. Whether we feel that in our human finite bodies and minds and souls or not, that God is with us. And then finally, that God gives us important things we can do. We talk about that here a lot. There are ways in which God is inviting us to join in to the work that God is doing to restore the world as future hope. We know that all things will be restored. And we have this invitation. God has so much for you. Peace is not passive. It's something that we can actively participate in with God's kingdom. There's been so many seasons in my life where I have just desperately needed God's peace. If you're not in one of those seasons right now, think about one you had recently. I was reminded of a season years ago now before I met my husband and I was in a relationship with someone and I was with him in a a relationship while he got sober for the first time. And I think about that time of recognizing the first time he could say that he had been a closet alcoholic for 15 years. And let me just tell you, finding out someone you've never seen touch a drink is a closet alcoholic is in my top five peace vacuum experiences of my life. Talk about the the peace, if I had any at all, just being sucked out of the atmosphere and anxiety coming in. This is what it felt like to hear this. I will also say watching somebody step into sobriety was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. During that season, Alcoholics Anonymous became a pretty important part of his life. I know that it's been for some of you here or is currently now. It's got roots in a discipleship movement. I love that about the AA movement. And for that season, Al-Anon became an important part of my life. Al-Anon, if you don't know, is a recovery space for families and friends of alcoholics, whether or not those people are acknowledging their addiction in that time or not. To pursue peace while trying to support an alcoholic partner is very difficult. And the number one mistake that so many of us make is thinking that in order for us to have peace, our loved one has to have peace. You see how that's not going to work really well as someone's coming into recovery. It's as though you think your peace depends on their peace and it's not going to work. And what Al-Anon taught me, in a way that I had learned in various seasons of my life as a follower of Jesus, Al-Anon reminded me again, peace is something that only God can give you. You can't get it from another person. You have to surrender, though, if you want to receive that peace. Some of you know the first three steps of the 12-step program. We admitted we were powerless— over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. In the AA world, there's something called the gift of desperation. Anybody heard that before? The, gift, the wisdom of the gift of desperation is that all of our lives are unmanageable. It doesn't actually take an addiction for us to see that our lives on our own are unmanageable, but the gift of desperation that comes to someone struggling with an addiction is when they hit the end of their rope or they hit rock bottom, they can't ignore it anymore, and the gift of desperation is, I surrender. That's the gift of desperation, and it's a gift, they would say, because they can accept then and only then the peace that God has to offer them. Or the word most likely used in the AA community, the serenity that God has to offer them. I don't know if you noticed, but serenity is one of the definitions of shalom. One of the most important tools of the AA movement is the serenity prayer. Many of you have probably heard it or read it before. Maybe you pray it every day. Uh, I went back to look at the earliest version that's recorded by a pastor, Reinhold Niebuhr who just died in the 1970s, an American pastor. He's the one that's credited with at least writing it down. And let me read the short version for you in case it's unfamiliar or just to to bring it back to the surface again. God, give me grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. You catch the word serenity in there. That's part of that definition of shalom. Shalom, we could... We could just put peace in there. Let's switch it in. The definition of shalom is the state of, or of of serenity is the state of being calm and peaceful and untroubled. So let's say just for today, it's the peace prayer, all right? God, grant me the grace to accept with peace the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. But there's actually more to this prayer that Reinhold prayed Let me read the rest of it for you. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen there are things that need to be changed. There are things that need to be changed in you and in me, and God is giving us the invitation to partner with him to change those things. There are things that need to be changed in our neighborhoods, in our state, in our country, in our world, and God is inviting us to join in in some ways to participate in the things that need to be changed. You hear that in this prayer. God, tell me what needs to be changed that I can participate in. How can I join in? God gives us important things that we can do. God's invitation to join the kingdom coming in our midst, this is an incredible invitation. But do not mistake it for an invitation to try to do all the things. Please, please do not mistake the invitation as an invitation to take over and behave as though we are God. Jesus, thanks for the invitation. We've got it from here. Absolutely not. But we live in that way sometimes. We desperately need God's wisdom to discern what is ours to change and what is ours to release and to accept the peace that comes with surrendering it to God. This is the desperate need for wisdom that we have. Accepting hardship, the prayer says, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Here's the gift of desperation again. Jesus came as the prince of peace. Jesus came to make peace. Peace on earth, but perhaps that peace has to start with you and with me, within you and within me. If we're ever going to have a hope of joining in the peacemaking that God invites us to join into in the world that God loves, and so I just want to encourage you as you sing one of the most popular songs of this season, which is really a prayer, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That might be the most important prayer we can pray, O come, O come. To us, with us, God, because we need your presence and we need your peace. And maybe some of us, that's all we can pray right now. And if so, I think that would be good enough. Oh come, O come, Emmanuel, come be with us. We need your peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that we can call on you as the prince of peace to reign in our lives. But we also come to you as your kids who can't always figure out how to do that who feel so overwhelmed sometimes by the things that we're holding on to, we need your help to help us surrender. Maybe it's one grip of one finger at a time that we need to loosen and release to you, but Holy Spirit, help us do that. God, we thank you for the promise of your future return to make all things new. Jesus, we thank you that your reign is coming in our midst right now. Open up our eyes to see it. Help us in our longing. Give us perseverance as we hope in longing for you. Help us see the glimpses of you now, but help us never to forget that the future hope you have for us is so much greater. Help us hold on just a little bit longer. We pray for your peace. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray.